Says Says, the drum podcast in partnership with Frank and Lively and Scramble Studios. My name is Sunu and I'm from The Drum, your host for today. And with me, my guest here is Claire Gillis, International CEO of WPP Health. Thank you for being here, Claire. Thank you so much for having me. Um, so I would like to talk about everything related to health and, and business, of course. But the first thing that you and I have been talking about is your journey uh, into this business of advertising and marketing of health, because you are a trained pharmacologist. <laughs> and you, have, you told me this really interesting story about your nana that uh, triggered this journey for you. So tell us a little bit about that. So it's interesting you talk about advertising, business and health. Actually, health is the bit that I'm passionate about. And I was I was reflecting on how I got to health. And um, my nana, who's considerably older than I was, was around for the start of the NHS and, you know, at your grandmother's knee when she was telling stories, um, one that really resonated with me, and I'm sure it'll resonate with probably all women listening to this, was when the NHS started, of course, um, it was access to health care that was free of charge for everyone. Before that, if there was anyone that was sick in the house, it was the men and the children who got the money to be able to go and get fixed. The women didn't. So, sure. you, so you had this whole group of women, once they'd had their multiple children, who were sitting in the, cor- in the corner of the living room, not going anywhere because all of their reproductive apparatus was was shot, essentially. And it could be really easily fixed. But if you had to pay money to do that, um, it wasn't... It, it just wasn't accessible for those women. So, start of the NHS, queues of women around the corner to get fixed. And though that whole tranche of women then became viable members of society again, and they got their lives back. And that's that's a really emotive story to an eight, nine-year-old. And um, so that really, and my natural inclination towards science, that kind of pushed me into health. Now, um, as a pharmacologist, what I want to ask is really, do you, do you think that there's a gender bias when it comes to healthcare that exists even today from what your, your nana and that generation of women experience? Of course, things like poverty and race come into, into yeah. healthcare biases as well. But how real is the gender bias today in, in 2019? And I'm not just talking Aristotle's superior male form and inferior female matter, but men being seen as this silent stoics and, and, and women, these hysterical hypochondriacs. Does that still exist today? Well, I think the stereotypes that we've been living with for hundreds of years, of course, impact what we do now. I think the challenge is that disease is gender blind, it's colour blind. And really, this is about making sure that every voice has value and we investigate everyone's issues, everyone's diseases, to make sure that they have valid outcomes to be able to live the best lives that they can. There have been um, things over the years which which mean that uh, clinical trials, for example, were done predominantly with men, and um, that is unravelling now. So we now have guidelines to make sure more women are involved in clinical trials. 
Um, but it's about using the data that we've got to be able to look at the differences and apply precision medicine to be able to make it appropriate to you, to me, to our kids, irrelevant of, of their background. And when it comes to advertising and marketing, how real are those biases then? Or do you even have enough women, for instance, uh, designing, creating those messages for women-related products? So in the group that I'm in, in WPP's health practice, we're very keen on, I mean, our byline really is creatively transforming healthcare. Um, we have a predominance of women in uh, healthcare creatives, so I have more women than men. Um, I think for me, I'm more interested in getting that diversity in a room, but it's not just about the gender diversity. I mean, what we've started doing in WPP is um, blinding resumes when they come in. So it's not just about gender or um, you know, where people come from, it's about which schools they went to. Because I can have different women um, with different ethnicities and different men, but if they all went to the same school and the same university, I need diversity in behaviours, really. That's where we get real creativity. And I think that's as applicable in healthcare as it is outside healthcare. I'm not traditional advertising. I, um, I come from a data background, but it's all about telling stories to change what we do to get a better outcome. We'll, we'll talk data and tech in a minute. Uh, the, the reason I talk about the kind of biases and the gender stereotypes that still exist, and of course they still exist in, in advertising, is I just wonder how surprised you were when the Blood Normal campaign happened, for instance, because I've been in advertising for 20 years and actually it never occurred to me that the blood... Um, on, on screen was always blue and, and, and never red. I, uh, I was recently interviewing um, a startup called Dame and they have been looking at uh, products for women which are sustainable. And I just wonder whether um, you think within health those conversations are changing, those, those stereotypes are changing. Very much so. Um, you look in the last two years and it's absolutely unrecognisable today than where it was you know, last year or the year before, because we have all been given permission to be able to be more open about um, issues that perhaps a number of years ago we we just sit back and, and accept as the norm. Uh, I think DAME is a really good example of where those messages that um, we see, I, th I think their byline is um, bleed red, think green. And... It's brilliant marketing. It's not, it's not just advertising. It's brilliant marketing. It's specific. It's arresting. Um, and um, I think the entrepreneurs that started that, it's, it's a man and a woman. So that challenges all of our norms. And, and the whole thing about advertising communication is being, being able to use information to stop you in your tracks and, and change. Talking technology then, so has data, AI, analytics, has that made an overall difference to to our overall health, general health, and indeed the way products are being designed? You know, like taking the example of the startup, for instance, does, does that mean it has triggered more startups, therefore? 
Well, I would hope that people can see more patterns in the data to be able to identify where the gap is to be able to to fill it with something that's appropriate. You know, we talk about personalised medicine, but it's personalised marketing, personalised advertising. It's about using that data to be able to accurately target and deliver what you need to be able to deliver. Um, a, a great example, I think, of this is... Um, in China, uh, there's a sh- there's a shortage of doctors and healthcare professionals, so it's it's very hard to triage the enormous number of patients through the system to be able to get to a doctor. So, big hospitals have um, used robots to try and triage people through, but there's still a queue of people to see the person at reception to find out where to go for their results how to get to x-ray, because people don't want to interact with a robot. We need to make sure that we keep the human in healthcare, because these are um, relationships, those nuances. I mean, I, I take on board, you can have facial recognition, and it's all very sophisticated. But for me, I think it's about making sure we don't get distracted by the shiny. We still go back to the basics, which is... What does the data say? How can we address that need? You know, talking about uh, putting humanity back into um, technology, data obviously has its own concerns, uh, and especially at a time when all of us have our mobile phones almost as an appendage to ourselves, and it's it's collecting a lot of data about our health and fitness, for for instance. How concerned, as an expert, do you think we should be about all our data being captured by all these devices that we've strapped onto ourselves. So you say, how concerned should I be as a, as a professional? I'm a mother of three teenage children, although, although my eldest would probably not call herself a teenager now that she's 20. And it's second nature to them. And it's a very different relationship that they sure. have with measuring and monitoring and accessing apps and having their information gathered than I do and probably you do. Um, I think we need to make sure that um, that those data privacy guidelines are adhered to and we need to make sure we don't lose the trust because we can gain so much about through data and it, it there's that balance of having tons of data to be able to draw patterns out of it Absolutely. and again for it to be specific to you so that it, it has an impact. So um, I think I, I watch it carefully and with interest, but I think for, for my kids, it's a, it's a very different environment to, to the one that I live in. And probably going to change over the next generation that, that comes yeah. through as well. Yeah. Health and wellness, let's talk about it. It's something that's quite close to your heart. I had the privilege of being in your offices uh, <laughs> recently. All the greenery, the plants, and indeed the, the beautiful dogs uh, <laughs> that seem to be sleeping in different corners. Uh, and, and the yoga room that I so wanted to lie down in. Um, and the in-house shrink as, as, as well, or whatever you might... Therapist. Therapist, Therapist. thank you. Uh, so you, you seem to be one of the few companies uh, that are seriously investing into uh, health and fitness, both physical, mental, social well-being of the employees. Uh, I talk to enough business CEOs to know that even though they talk about it, there's 
very little being done in terms of real investment. And really, besides the political distraction of, of Brexit, let's park that to one side, a lot of bosses say that they almost feel the need to prove some kind of real ROI into the effectiveness of, of these uh, programmes. What would your advice be for these these um, businesses who are probably looking to fund some some of these initiatives? Well, we we only moved into our new building um, four months ago, and again, if I go back to what the health practice is all about, which is creatively transforming healthcare, I truly believe that in order for um, the guys that work for me. Uh, or work for for our business in order for them to deliver the best things for our clients in transforming their healthcare. They need to feel like they're creatively part of of the same kind of thing. It's not just our external customers; it's our internal customers too. Um, and also, from a business perspective, our job is to keep the best people and attract the best people through the door. If they love working there. The work is hard in advertising and communications. You know, we're, we're, we're worked hard, we deliver brilliant things, but we need to have a great environment that's supportive. It feels right. We don't have the metrics from our experiment to show that yet. But, you know, when something feels right, generally generally it, it comes out with, with, again, the right outcomes. Probably having a conversation around talent, and that's an interesting word you use. If we were to talk about health and wellness programs to make sure that we we uh, have we not only attract talent but are able to retain talent, maybe we might be able to have different conversations. Do you think? Um, I feel like we get some of the best talent that's coming out of a um, hundred different places that you wouldn't expect. So we like to take people from all different walks of life, irrespective of their education or, or gender, diversity, all of those pieces. Our job is to keep the best people and to develop them and, and allow them to, to build their careers. It's tough in this environment. You know, there are, again, there are lots of other places they can go. Um, and if by allowing people to bring their dogs into work every day makes them happy and it makes the rest of us happy as well um, you know I think that's that's a great outcome So the future of healthcare obviously uh, means we should be having more dogs in the workplace uh, but apart from that where do you think that future really does lie? Well I'm all for more dogs in the in the workplace but for the future of healthcare I think it's dependent really on open collaboration where everyone puts their heads together to unlock that creative transformation that can reduce the differences in health that we see in society across the world and increase access to higher quality healthcare. But it's not really about tomorrow. We can do all of this today. We just, we've just got to have a plan. On that note, I have to say thank you and thank you for sharing the story of your nana, which inspired you as well. I hope she's watching with a smile on her face. That was very life-affirming, so thank you very much, Claire. And also, I would like to thank our partners, Frank and Lively, She Says, and Scramble Studios, and of course, listeners. So keep tuning in. Thank you. Bye.